Welcome to the Player Layer Podcast, where we talk about board games and game design. Today's guest is designer of Arcana Magica, a 2-4 player card game featuring risk, unit and resource management, and deck building mechanics in a competitive setting. Hi everyone, this is the Player Layer Board Game Design Podcast, where we will let you in on conversations with game designers, publishers, and people from the board game industry. I am your host, Ivan Alexiev, and today I have with me a very special guest, Mr. Mikhail Ivanov, the game designer for Arcana Magica. Could you please introduce yourself, tell people uh, about your game, a few words about yourself? Yeah, a few words about myself. Uh, I don't really want to call myself a game designer because I just designed one game so far. Uh, although I do have some experience with video games, I'm more of a board game designing enthusiast, I would say. Because uh, academically, uh, I am doing my PhD on narrative and gaming narrative and video game narrative. So I am really into telling stories and how do you actually tell a story uh, when you play or create a game? Wow, that's that's very impressive. I didn't actually know that about you. I haven't done my it's research enough. <laughs> but uh, can you can you uh, tell people about Arcana Magica, uh, what it is, how long you've been working on it? Uh, well, uh, working on it, it's a big story because uh, basically we start, well, we, I started uh, working, uh, to say so, on Arcana Magica, uh, the moment uh, where my friend Diliana Bujinova uh, gave me as a gift uh, her 22 tarot cards, the major arcana of tarot, as a birthday gift. And that was uh, four or five years ago. I mean, it's a bit hard to remember so far. Uh, and I was just super impressed. Uh, I I was just starting into the hobby. I, I guess I had a few games by then, you know, like five or six games. But being 30-something, you know, birthdays do remind you of aging. Uh, I have already seen how much fun it is to play board games and how nice it is for people my age. I mean, you know, just gathering around with friends, playing a, playing a few rounds of something or um, booking a really serious date for four to five hours playing a deep strategy game that you can really invest in. Because uh, with time passing, I felt that I couldn't play a lot of video games. So getting back to it, I knew that I had some potential in me, you know, to create games. And I knew that these cards deserve to get one. So at the start, I was kind of frantic about it. Uh, you know, just uh, setting an hour to think uh, on the game, uh, passing it down with friends, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But to be frank, it wasn't coming. I mean, it wasn't coming together and I just decided to leave it off just play my games, live my life, you know, go forward. <laughs> At this point, I was moving from uh, Sofia to Barcelona, so uh, that would, <laughs> that really kept me busy. Uh, but, you know, the cards, they stayed with me. I mean, wherever I was, I just had these cards, not even looking at them, you know, just sitting by the bedside. And three years after, it was uh, the end of 2018, uh, October, uh, I was looking, uh, I was watching a Netflix documentary about patterns in nature. So the documentary was about how different shapes, you know, go around in nature, how bees made hexagons and so on. And then in the next moment, they just showed five dice and, uh, you know, the four-sided, the six-sided, the eight-sided, the 12-sided and the 20-sided. And they said, you know, these, these dice were around before we had language, before we had uh, culture, to say so. What we had was these small boats that were traveling around the Mediterranean, but people meeting, they couldn't speak between each other, but they played games. And in that very moment, it just kind of flicked. I mean, it was amazing for me because it took me 
half an hour, an hour to draft <laughs> out the rules, then another 15 minutes to just lay out the mat, uh, tear down the cards, and I had the, the first prototype. Wow. And uh, how would you say does that first prototype compare to what the game is now? How different is it from the uh, first prototype? Because you've, you've kept the same components, like you still have dice, cards, and a turret deck. Definitely. Uh, I would say it's uh, it's almost the same. Uh, I, really, a few rules changed. Uh, I had the biggest issues with ending the game. It was kind of getting into an infinite loop uh, at some point and uh, balancing out. But the core idea was there from the start. I, I really had to make cosmetic changes. And I must say, I did make it a lot easier. So... The initial, the, the initial prototype, the initial uh, version of the rules kind of stayed like an advanced version of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I've played the game many times, by the way, and I really <laughs> like playing it. Uh, it's one of those games, it, it's a small game, but it still somehow gets you into a, a, a very specific type of mood. Maybe it's because of the artwork. Uh, there is plenty of, of randomness in it because, you know, your main mechanic is, uh, is dice, but you also have plenty of decision-making and for a small game, it, it, it's definitely, uh, worth looking into. I, I feel like most people come for the artwork, but, but they stay because of that feeling that they want to play it again and again, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> just because it's, it's, it's so simple, but at the same time, it's, it's very fun. And, uh, we actually played last night with you on uh <laughs> we we streamed it and i i feel like you i can still feel you having fun with playing your own game which i see very few designers after uh what you said you, you said it was like five years i rarely see a designer who still has fun with his own game it was five years ago when i got the cards but uh, the in the first rules uh came out end of 2018 so it's not that long time uh, not that long of a time but yeah i'm, I'm glad to say that because i do have fun i mean even with my girlfriend we still play from time to time you know just going to vacations or sitting at home i said i enjoy i i really enjoy playtesting and i really enjoy uh, i don't even call it playtesting to be honest and it's just playing for me but yeah it gives me joy so last year is is when we actually met we've been friends for for about a year and we went to essen together you guys had already yeah. printed uh some copies some promo copies of the game uh and mm. I, I think you got a lot of interest so what are your plans going forward now with the game yeah um, i'm glad you mentioned essen spiel because it was it wasn't a turning point to say so but it was a point of comfort i mean uh kind of a foothold that you can establish because, uh, uh, yeah, as we mentioned, going through the game, uh, after the first uh, playtest, I knew it wasn't a ready game. But I knew that it had potential mostly because of how people reacted to it. I mean, they were like, okay, let's play another. And for me, that's a, that's a really strong uh, indication uh, of a good game. Uh, it uh, it goes to show that people are ready to to invest their time because uh, you know especially when you're talking with friends and i guess most of uh, game designers do that because it's the natural way i mean you always ask your friends you always uh, try to play around with the people that that are close to you uh they would they would always say yes it's a nice game <laughs> it's amazing you know keep on you know just leave me out of it it's fine uh, but, but but when people tell you not it's a good game, they tell you, oh yeah, man, I want to play again. Uh, I think I have a chance, you know. So that's uh, that's what really gave me confidence. But it's still, you know, it's close circle, and culturally, it's almost uh, uh, it's it's the same cultural background. I mean, it's my friends, you know, I'm, uh, mostly Bulgarians, and people should consider that. I think uh, I, I actually got this advice from. Um, from a designer in Plovdiv uh, when we met and what the guy said, sorry, I don't remember his name, but uh, he was really on point saying, you know, when you do a game, make sure you test it out with different kinds of people. I mean, uh, people from the same cultural background would always 
like things better than others. Uh, you know, there's things that are important to you. So coming back to Essen, uh, we got the chance there to play test it with uh, people from all over the world. I mean, Asians, uh, Latin American, uh, North American uh, people, uh, uh, people from, I would like I say we played with people from Africa, but it's almost from all over the world. And uh, people liked it. What's driven me was that they didn't just like it. Whoever played it wanted to buy it, you know, wanted to participate in the game and to have the game, uh, asked us about copies. And, you know, we had like 30 copies and we sold them in um, two days, which left four days of playtesting. But that's really the point when you know that when people want to invest their time, when they want to invest their money, that means you have a good game. So this is basically what uh, drives me into publishing this and what gives me this uh, strength, you know, to go on because I must say it's a drag. <laughs> I mean, the first few months are fine, but after half a year, after a year, you just feel like, why am I doing this? You know, just leave it. You know, it's a nice game. You created it. Leave it be. Maybe someday, you know, a publisher will call you. Uh, it doesn't happen. It needs a lot of work, I must say. It needs uh, enormous enough of, of work to, to go on. But Essen and playing with people there was the thing that made me do it, really. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize the work that goes into not only game design, because you have this uh, idealized uh, vision in your head, at least a lot of people do. Where a game designer, he designs games, he playtests them, and that's it. And uh, fair, fair enough, there are plenty of uh, game designers who devote a lot of their time to only games. But when you're you're still you still don't have a published game, it's kind of difficult to only devote all your time to the game. You you also need to focus on uh, promoting the game, getting it out there, and figuring out how to do that because that's uh, some would argue that's more than half the battle because. Uh, it's it's one thing when you when you're only playing with friends. It's totally a different thing when you're trying to share that game with the world and get more people involved, and get more people to play your game. Uh, so I was yeah, yeah I was gonna ask you uh, about your plans for the future. Are you going to Kickstarter? Are you planning on uh, uh, going through a publisher? What are you are you gonna do? Mm, yeah, well, uh, plan is definitely to go on with Kickstarter. Uh, I must say, at the start, I was having some really bold ideas of uh, being able to sell your game, you know, just through your website. Uh, I would say in my spare time, so because uh, my profession, you know, uh, nine to five is a web developer. Uh, I was really hoping that, you know, just creating a website would be all that you need to sell your game. It's it doesn't work like that, especially when when you don't have a publishing studio. So for me, going to a publisher was never an option. Uh, I mean, I must admit that in times of hardships, I was like, yeah, man, why don't you just you know go to somebody? People had interest. I mean, people approached us on Essen, um, distributors, publishers. They would like the game, but... I really believe there's something more to it. Uh, I really believe that this game is kind of the start because uh, I want to create games because uh, I really like, uh, first of all, the community. Uh, as, as a person, you know, that's, that's done cultural studies and I've more or less studied every form of art that ever existed. I must say the, that board games being new and being what they are, it, it's something amazing. So I really didn't feel like, you know, being a mercenary, just creating a design, shipping it there or shipping it out there. I'm, I'm not doing that for the money. All things uh, said and done, uh, I can go for my daily life, you know, having a normal job. Uh, for me, being a designer, it's not about making it, you know. I don't want to buy a yacht with this <laughs> or I don't want my name being... Uh, in. in I don't want to see my company next to $10 million uh, uh, on Kickstarter. This is not my goal at all. Uh, I feel like I want to create my own thing. Uh, 
And more or less, when you go to a publisher, a publisher will always try to sell it to uh, the biggest audience possible. In, it's like movies, you know, you can have the Godfather, but the Godfather is not good for the mainstream. The Godfather made the, bo the box offices uh, by chance. While uh, the really polished stuff, they they have really round edges, you know. Mm -hmm. They're not sharp. They, they don't have their own flavor. So I see myself more as an artist than as a crafter or a businessman when it comes to game design. I totally get what you're saying, uh, where you don't want to go as um, mainstream. You want it to stay your own thing. Uh, because it's true, publishers will try and sell it to as, as many people as possible. And if that means retheming a game, uh, or exactly. if it means changing things, uh, it's it's something that, you know, designers, lots of game designers have to be all right with. Or And if you're not all right with it, it's completely fine to try and do it by yourself through Kickstarter and finding finding the audience, you know, finding your own audience uh, instead of selling something that you know that there is an audience for that, that really a definite i mean uh, at the end designing is creating uh, you're you're not just uh, you know uh, refurbishing something or or uh, making something new with the old lego parts you know uh, mm -hmm. making a spaceship out of a car uh, at the end it's it, it's it's an artist's work because you create a whole world and that's the narrative part that i really like because you get to tell a story. I mean, it might be the simplest story, you know. It might be uh, the spy that uh, walks in a building and he's the only one that doesn't know what the building is. You know, uh, Spyfall, which is probably one of the simplest and still uh, pretty fun game. Or it could be something immensely complex like The Message, which I'm a really big fan of, where you tell the story line by line and each uh, car turn, each... Uh, tile that opens tells a new part of that story and the players there the actions uh, the action figures you know that are on the board they are you and you are experiencing that story which is the amazing part about games at all as a whole yeah and you mentioned that you're doing a phd on uh narrative game design was it correct me if i'm wrong uh, well it's it's on digital narrative or how narrative has changed in the digital age but board games and video games are the main part of it okay so uh what I, i've noticed with arcana magica is that there isn't any written narrative but there's definitely a feeling of things that uh you can feel a world almost and even just the way that things are named in the game uh, how you you imagine the narrative of uh, Arcana Magica, or is is there one? Is it is it free for to interpretation or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get you. Uh, now with Arcana Magica, it's uh, I won't say complex, but it's uh, strange in its own way because uh, basically the components come from the tarot cards. Uh, what I didn't know, actually, what I didn't know before even starting. Uh, to design and one of the first thing I researched is that tarot cards were the whole 80, uh, 80 cards in the deck. So the 22 in the, in the major arcana and the 56, so 78 cards and two jokers. Uh, and the uh, 56 uh, in the minor arcana, those were the cards that were used to play around since ages, I mean, the first tarot cards are found in ancient Egypt, you know, five, six thousand years ago. Uh, there's traces of it uh, in uh, in Asia Minor, you know, in especially in the Jewish, not community, but religion. Uh, most of the, so the numbers of the, uh, and the names of the tarot cards, especially the major arcana, are... Uh, are the same as the Jewish alphabet. You know, it's 22 letters and 22 uh, cards. So they do have, you know, this really, really deep religious significance, uh, not just for the Jewish uh, culture that uh, even our religion, I mean, uh, both Christianity and Islam uh, come by. Uh, they evolved from there. I mean, they evolved from this really rudimentary uh, places in uh, people's minds. 
that's why they're um, especially the major account is called you know strand uh, high priestess hero fund which is a word you don't use every day uh, the sun you know the world uh, they have this uh, enormous uh, uh, symbolic uh, strength to, to, to say to them uh, so that's why i don't really want to write fluff about it i want to really lay, leave it open uh, to interpretation but at the end it has to set a setting because uh, you have to start from somewhere so for me um, the shadow gallery is basically the place between both worlds between the uh, the world of the shadows the world of ideas the world of ethos as uh, platon uh, calls it and the physical world you know the manifestation which is aggressive which is uh, uh, which has presence, which can harm and uh, and be potential threat to others. Uh, so I really see it uh, as a game uh, with the players being magicians, trying to fight each other for who controls fate and magic better, uh, which I really think is reimbursed uh, by using the card deck. I mean, the card deck could seem really random, but uh, it's not. I mean, it has really good and uh, really special mathematics about it. And this is the reason why card games in terms of cards that are using poker decks uh, have an amazing variety, first of all, and have a really long history. I mean, as I mentioned, the dice, same goes along with cards with the only reason for not being that popular is people not being able to print them that much. As you know, bones, uh, stones from which you make dice of are uh, basically all around you while making paper and cutting out cards in the same shape with the same backs uh, with different pictures. That's, uh, that's, a, uh, that's kind of a hard civilization task. So that's why they became popular a bit later, but they were around for a lot of time. So I must say, I mean, for me, it was easy because I used uh, components that were play tested for ages. <laughs> yeah. And, and you really, uh, what I really love about you as a designer is how much uh, you research e even, let's say, the turret deck and the history behind these components because you are using components that uh you didn't invent you know it's it's cards it's a tarot deck it's dice and mm -hmm. you're you you made a unique game out of those components and the artwork which you put on these cards i i would say in itself is enough to for for most people to to uh to at least give the give the game a, a chance because it's it's just so so good and i feel like there's a lot of symbolism in in every card uh well that's more of a well it's not a chance but that's more of an additional work uh well not work but it's an addition to say so uh and you know with you mentioning this i must say that this is all dilana buzinova's uh um contribution because uh, she's an artist and an, an illustrator that uh, knows Taro. She loves Taro and the reason that uh, she made uh, the major uh, arcana was first of all she wanted to make her own um, Taro, the whole Taro deck uh, which is actually pretty significant uh, because there are not uh, many of them around. Uh, I mean there's one that's really popular from the 19th century that uh, that you can buy in almost any bookshop uh, or Amazon, uh, if you like. Uh, and there's really a few uh, complete uh, tarot decks uh, that, uh, uh, that, that, that you can purchase. And actually, you know, kudos uh, for Kickstarter, because many, I must say, amazing artists uh, uh, were able to create their own tarot decks and uh, to publish them. And people love them. I mean, there's a lot of tarot enthusiasts and a lot of tarot lover, uh, lovers around the world that would uh, love to have this personal touch on their tarot. I mean, there's there's even luxurious car, uh, tarot uh, decks 
And it made sense. I mean, even Alistair Crowley, you know, the Satan, the Satan is cultist, uh, is actually an, uh, an, uh, an Egyptologist. I, wow, that's a hard word. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Egyptologist, Egyptologist, yeah. Uh, so he has his own tarot deck and there's a few famous around. Uh, so yeah, uh, in Arcana Magica, the tarot is absolutely based on the tarot principles and the tarot canon. There's uh, artist uh, recreation and uh, and changes made by the artist, but these are tarot cards as tarot cards should be. All right, so let's get to uh, your influences. Like what you said that you started. Uh... You got into board games uh, about around five years ago. You said you had five or six. What are the, the, the games you like to play, your, your favorite types of games? So, uh, in that sense, I must mention that, especially about Arcana Magica, which uses the poker deck, I must say that both my parents were uh, card players, all their, all their friends were, and uh, playing cards was really a natural playtime uh, around our house. I mean, we've played a uh, number of games uh, with my father and my mother since I was a really little kid. I mean, I, I remember I was uh, seven or eight, you know, you can imagine how kids play, but I was amazed that, you know, exactly how many cards are in there, you know, how many cards are in your hand. So if you want to change your destiny, I mean, you have to change your game according to what you have in your hand. You know, this famous expression in, in English, uh, play the cards you dealt with. Uh, for me, playing card games, it's it what, what gave meaning to that, <laughs> you know, adjusting yourself to the situation. Uh, so I must say that I've played a lot of card games uh, as a kid and later on. Uh, which is really a major influence uh, for Arcana Magica. And then stepping into the board game community, uh, actually, you got me thinking on what was the first game that I actually played. Uh, I would need some time to remember, but I can, I can um, conveniently say what was the first game that I bought. Uh, it was uh, Eldritch Horror, the mm -hmm. base game. Uh, which I luckily bought from a shop that was just my workplace. Uh, it was the first uh, board game shop to open in Sofia, and it was just uh, next to my workplace. Uh, so uh, I had uh, watched a few YouTube videos. I don't remember the name of the guy, but he played the whole game of Eldritch Horror, and I was amazed. I mean, I couldn't believe that this is actually happening, that someone is printing those, that they look so nice that they give you such a deep gameplay with uh, and you can play them with friends uh, it's not like a video game when you just close yourself down uh, and you just you know video games are more or less lazy uh, everything's there for you and everything is everything is made for you to be easy while you know just getting out the board of eldritch core which is a really a table hoarder, uh, uh, especially uh, I didn't have expansions then, but come on, you have like seven main decks, uh, you have uh, your uh, investigators, you have the world map, you have all the gates that are opening. I mean, just handling that as a person, you know, for others so they can play uh, really gave me uh, a nice kick. And yeah, um, from this point forward, uh, I already had a really nice uh, group that I played with, and we played almost everything. Um, again, with uh, it was it was actually a really nice experience because if you think about it, five six years ago, it's when actually the hobby started picking up, mm -hmm. picking up heavily because because of Kickstarter, and for me it feels amazing to be part of that history. You know, like. Uh, um, having a new game on the table almost every month, you know, just a new, uh, a new Kickstarter arrived. Hey guys, this thing arrived or this game arrived. Come on, okay, we're all playing. Uh, every, everyone watches, you know, the gameplay videos before that so we can sit on the table prepared. It was amazing. Yeah, that's when they really took off. And uh, Eldritch Horror, I haven't actually gotten to play it yet, but from what I know of it, it's very much narrative focused. 
Uh, you also said that you were into D and D when we spoke earlier. Yeah, role playing as a whole. Um, currently, I play Pulp Tool, uh, but I have a lot of D and D games in my past. Uh, before, uh, I must say, it was before I started uh, board games. We started with D and D. It was the same group actually that got me started, uh, and. This is another really mention. I actually, okay, this is a piece of Bulgarian history right there. So I'm sure <laughs> uh, uh, this could be interesting. I don't know if you remember, but there was the uh, there were these books, you know, choose your own adventure books. Yeah, right? I definitely. I remember Everybody as a kid yeah. playing playing with them. <laughs> yeah, but do you remember that uh, the that the publishing house started making actual board games. Uh, no. They, it was amazing. So they made like 20 board games, which were sort of a print and play uh, thing. So you get your box, uh, which is, no, you don't even get a box. You get kind of a, a magazine sized book and a lot of A4 print sheets. Uh, which have your old figures, uh, the game board, even the dice. So you have to cut them out, glue them down, and you have a board game. <laughs> and I had all of those. I mean, they managed to publish like 25 or 26 games. Swear to God, there's still one more attic in Sofia. Uh, I haven't played most of them, you know, <laughs> like you do with board games. Uh, but this was amazing, amazing piece of history yeah so yeah to get back on the topic really sorry but i thought this might be really interesting anyways uh back to role playing i started with my group uh i would say seven or eight years ago i already knew what could happen uh but it was this choose your own adventure feeling i mean uh this is the point that i felt that video games could be uh too straightforward. I mean, when we started playing role-playing uh, role games, we were just, you know, we go, uh, grind, uh, get weapons, kill, get experience, get better weapons, kill, get experience, get, and so on, you know, the, mm -hmm. a really close-off circle. But then uh, you flood the cave, you know, by redirecting the river, you kill everyone in it, or, uh, or something like that, and, you know, another door opens, a door that you can do everything that you do in your normal life. You know, just be creative, be yourself, express yourself. And that's why I love uh, role playing. And that's why I still do it. Yeah, I, I find it that's, amazing. That's what uh, gets most people into role playing is that you don't have that closed uh, feeling where you, you where the designer or, you know, whoever made the game has, uh, has to push you in some direction. There is a small pull, but if you choose to, you can uh, do do what you want, and if if it's a good dungeon master, he's going to be able to uh, respond in a way that uh, that it he he makes the game respond to your input, uh, which which I think is very difficult to accomplish uh, when you Definitely. just have a set set mechanic, and uh, you know you have only a game to uh, you know be it a video game or a board game. Now, of course, I'm not saying that 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 board games and video games uh, are. Uh, I would say they're just different, uh, as in there's a bit more freedom. Yes. There, there's a bit more freedom in D and D to express yourself, and I think that's that's the beauty of it. Though I haven't played as much uh, D and D as I have board games and uh, mm. and video games. Well, it's a different medium, and that's what we don't usually realize when we consume it. Because uh, if you think about it, uh, it's not just what uh, the medium can offer, it's what the producer can offer. Uh, so with board games, we have this uh, natural uh, uh, how do call it? limitations of a table size. I mean, at the end, when you want to create something, you want to create it... Uh, to fit on a table. Um, in that sense, I can say that Kingdom Death Monster it is is an amazing uh, and and that, that that's why it became a classic uh, because uh, it still fits on the table, but it tells an epic story. 
uh, while in video games you get the chance uh, to create an open world game uh, a lot easier. I mean, uh, right now I'm playing Assassin's Creed. Uh, I was going to say in Greece, the uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Odyssey yeah. Uh, yeah, and it and it really strikes me how I can relieve absolutely everything. Uh, well, not absolutely everything, but I can relieve a uh, whole portion of the Mediterranean, one of the places where our civilization started. You can be there. I mean, you can get a ship, you know, you can go another place. But, you know, this has all been pre-generated. With board games, you don't get that. I mean, the only pre-generated thing is your board uh, map. But uh, the, board itself. the video game industry is also like so huge that they can... They can make these huge worlds and, and there's really no limit, you know, like uh, last year when the, the fire in Paris in Notre Dame, I remember that Assassin's Creed, yeah. they actually took the, the models that they used to make it for their Assassin's Creed game to fix it. So they, they put in so much detail that it, it can really completely engulf you in this world. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot more submersive, but we must say uh, the, the, the other natural limit to any game, be it a board game or a video game, uh, is finance. I mean, finance does play a really big role in all of this. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone can create a game like that, uh, but no one can create Assassin's Creed. You need Ubisoft for that. You need the money that's behind to be soft. Uh, you need the sheer resource of getting so many developers working for so many time. I mean, when you think about it, GTA 5 was developed for five years. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 was developed in eight years, I think. Uh, this is, uh, those are really immense expenses uh, uh, in artists, in developers, in uh, uh, designers, uh, marketing, I mean, all of everything. This is a really big machine. And this is the beauty of gaming because everyone can create it. I mean, uh, this is why indie games became so popular like uh, eight to 10 years ago, you know, the Xbox Arcade, uh, many of them uh, went mainstream, you know, in the PlayStation shop uh, after that, in the, um, on the shelves, on the shelves. And, that's what I really like about board games. I mean, if you have a good product, if you can focus uh, enough resources on it, you can create a good game. And we must mention Kickstarter again here because this is actually a game changer. I mean, crowdfunded economics didn't exist 10 years ago. Sometimes it's hard to imagine this, but we should not forget. We should not forget that in order to create a board game 10 years ago, you needed... Uh, a really serious amount of money to start, uh, to design, to play test, to produce, to ship, and then start selling. Yeah. I mean, we get the, the easy part right now. I mean, all, all of this is already done. You just need to convince people that this is worth it. This is not as hard task as uh, producing a whole game. Yeah, this is what, what's really freeing right now in the board game industry is that if, if you can make a good game and convince people that you have a good game, uh, yeah, still you're going to have to pay for some, you know, artwork and things like that. But if you can convince people that you have a good good enough game, then it's it's possible to, to actually make it. So it, it does uh, get more people, more people are able to do it now. No, uh, actually what I mean is more like uh, the market is open to independent uh, producers, which is amazing. I mean, if you think how much this changed the music industry, for example, because uh, more or less designers are not, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to think myself of as an artist, but I don't have the artist talent. I mean... Illustrators, they have the artist talent for drawing. Um, so coming back to the music industry, you know, in the 80s when hip hop emerged, uh, people were not musicians. I mean, those were uh, normal people living off the corners, usually in, in poverty even. Uh, what they had was some music, you know, uh, a gramophone or uh, the tape uh, cassette players that could remix. And they just started remixing. They started creating uh, their own beats. Uh, when they started creating no beats, they started creating their own rhymes. After having the rhymes and the beats, 
they started creating the uh, tapes when they have the tapes they started selling those tapes to people that would listen to it and then you had you know radios like stretch and bobito that were able to spread the world around like we have kickstarter now you know you have kickstarter and you have those all those amazing uh, vlogs I, I wouldn't even call them vlogs they're not vlogs they're absolutely masterfully done uh, productions uh, which is uh, quality content that talks about board games and if you have a good game you can go to them uh, but we should not underestimate really the hardship of creating a quality game uh, everyone is amazed when you see a Kickstarter, you know, done by a publishing agency, and we should know that this costs a lot of money. Uh, it, at the end, it's hard to convince people because board games also mean quality. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to convince people in the quality that you can produce if you haven't produced it yet. But still, making one copy of a game it's a lot easier than making 2,000 or 3,000. And lest I forget, I should say, you know, to, talking about Kickstarter, um, speaking with friends of mine that have successful Kickstarters, uh, for example, uh, Wolfed, uh, if anyone listening back to it, uh, people uh, and also Strength of the Sword, the video game, uh, when I spoke to the creators, uh, they both said that they were amazed by the community. Because uh, they both have uh, they they both had issues. For example, strength of the sword was uh, hard to. I mean, it's a funny story that uh, it's not gonna take too long. So they put on the stretch goals and they never believed that they would get to hundred thousand dollars. They they never thought that this could happen. So they said, you know, if we make hundred thousand dollars, the game would be available everywhere. You know, all around on PlayStation, Xbox, Wii U, uh, Switch, doesn't matter. You know, you name a console, the game would be there. Uh, turned out it, it, it wasn't that easy. Uh, so when uh, uh, when the guy, you know, just uh, communicated that, when he said, you know, guys, sorry, but maybe we, we won't be able to make a Switch uh, port and so on. Everybody said, don't care, man. It's fine. You did an amazing game. You did an amazing game. It's all okay. Um, the other thing with Wolf, uh, they had some uh, postage issues. Uh, you know, one in a th- uh, one in a hundred, but you know, it, it it could still happen. And there were people that didn't get their game for like six months. And actually, the producers had to contact them and tell them, "I think you didn't get your game." Mm-hmm. And be oh yeah, sure, don't worry about it, you know, just send it, it's fine. Uh, which is the support that independent uh, publishers really need. Because that's the thing, when you're an independent publisher, you don't have this well-oiled machine that can, you know, that's perfect. That creates the perfect art uh, with the perfect box, uh, shipped perfectly, and so on. And I think this is the, the spirit uh, that uh, made... Uh, I would say small companies make it big, you know, like Awakened Realms. Uh, At the end, Awakened Realms didn't start with uh, enormous uh, investment and so on. They just made good games. People started trusting them. They just made better games. And that's what I believe in. I mean, of course, I want to create a perfect game from the start. But I know that when anything goes wrong, I have the support of the people that, that like it. Yeah, that's uh, that that that's really important. Uh, having having that support and being able to sh- show that you're making progress because people love to see you making progress. When as an independent uh, creator, when you make something and then uh, it's it's really a, a a road where you you make better and better things. Hopefully, and people love love to see that. People so- love the underdog. But still, I mean, there's a threshold. Uh, we should mention that uh, that doesn't mean, you know, lacking in quality. That means if in worst case scenario, something happens, people got your back. But uh, no one would support you if, if you don't try your best or if you just uh, send them something that's not well done or not done at all. So can you tell people uh, where they can find out more about Arcana Magica? Yeah, your website, uh, when you're planning on going on Kickstarter, 
Actually, I'm having a call with uh, Diliana just uh, just after we speak. Uh, poly, uh, the details of the key, on the Kickstarter are more or less polished. We are starting our uh, our work on the illustrations and the design. Uh, I'm really hoping that it won't take much. Uh, the legalities are there, uh, meaning uh, our company is functioning properly actually since January. So. What I would say is visit our website. You can actually pre-order there. Uh, it's selling on a promotional price uh, at this point. Uh, and speaking about Kickstarters, I must say that our plan is to have this as a really, really limited edition. Uh, probably 3,000 or, or 4,000 uh, copies uh, would be made as a whole. Um, I mentioned quality and I really don't believe that our small company could provide the the quality necessary if we sell over 4,000 copies, uh, I must say. It's still kind of a long shot, you know, uh, selling more than 4,000 copies of your first game. I know that, but it's a cap that we really need uh, to put on ourselves. Because as I mentioned, it's not about getting greedy, you know, it's not about how much money I can make. It's for me, it's, uh, and for all of us, I mean, because we're not a small team. We are like 10 people at this point, uh, currently working on both the digital and uh, printing side. Uh, so in order to ensure this, I must say that Kickstarter would be very limited. Now, uh, I mentioned our website, you can find uh, the rules there, you can find the gallery with the amazing illustrations. I hope I uh, did right by them, you know, uh, creating the website for that. Uh, also, uh, we do have uh, a Twitch stream that it's not exactly live at the moment, but as you know, as we yesterday did, uh, games are being played there. There's definitely going to be a few tournaments because we already had a tournament and it was tons of fun. I mean, I really can't wait to make another tournament. Definitely. I think this is what Arcana Magica is made for. Uh, the game is on Tabletop Simulator. The game is on Tabletopia awaiting publishing. I hope in the next few days uh, it will be up. It's really a proud of mine because uh, first you helped me a lot with Tabletop Simulator, but I managed to prepare all my visuals for the game. We play tested it a lot, so I think it plays really well, both on Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator. And I would say that this is it. Uh, on the digital part, you should know that there is a dice throwing app that we're gonna use when there's more copies, definitely. Uh, but there's an app that helps you throwing the dice, getting through the rules. And we are in the process of creating also a mobile app. Um, the mobile app is really close. I guess they will, it would mostly, the open beta would mostly coincide with the Kickstarter. So we're really, really, really hard at work. I would say just write Arcana Magic in Google and follow the first thing that, uh, uh, the, that you find. All right. Well, I really hope that you make it because I know that you put your heart and soul in this game and not only you, but also Diliana. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really w waiting for that Kickstarter and I'm waiting to back it. And thank you for coming on the podcast. I must say this is my first podcast and it felt amazing. I hope I didn't speak too much, but you know, that's what podcasts are for. Uh, and before saying goodbye, I must say that I hope we get to speak more about your game. Because uh, what people don't know, but us being friends, I've played the first uh, versions of Satchel. Uh, I really like to think that I helped contribute uh, to it. Uh, but playing the last version uh, that you published on Tabletop Simulator that we played together, I must say this is amazing. Uh, I'm sure that if I get more time, I would I, I would I would spend it uh, playing Sacho at least uh, at least another few more games because uh, I, I I see that there's deepness in it, there's variety, uh, and I still feel lucky winning my last game. You know, uh, I want to set a pattern to it, not uh, 
not being uh, comfortable feeling like a lucky winner. Yeah, well, uh, the game is changing a lot, and we're actually we we published a, a solo uh, game, especially for people who are stuck at home right now. That was the idea, uh, but now we're 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 also working to make a bigger game, and we're we're in the process. So we're hoping to also uh, go on Kickstarter probably in a couple of months. Yeah. We haven't announced it yet. But thank you very much. That makes me feel good that you like the game. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, what I must say uh, is for people that don't know you personally, that you and your brother are, first of all, amazing designers. I was amazed by it. Uh, we should mention that actually we met because uh, I really liked your game and you really liked ours. So it was really natural for us. Uh, but spending time with you, I was always amazed with the good ideas you come up with. I mean, really, if anyone's, uh, uh, if, if anyone should believe me, you believe me about that. The Alexia brothers just come up with amazing ideas by the day. Uh, it, and I'm really glad. Uh, uh, and I must say, uh, you should be proud that you're focused on them, that you made it to the end. I mean, uh, at the end, your first game is uh, absolutely uh, ready for publishing. Satyo is, uh, is, is, is already published. Uh, you have your good ideas and you manage to, to work on them and to bring them to the end. Because a lot of people have good ideas, but really the work that comes after is what's uh, stopping uh, the many. So really, kudos on that. It, it's amazing. Yeah, thank you. Well, yeah, we're a, we're a team and that's what we, we push each other to, to make things, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It helps a lot. I, I really believe it helps a lot, but it's amazing. I must say that. Um, it, it comes from the bottom of my heart. Uh, you, I, I hope a lot of people come, come to this podcast, that, that you get to interview a lot of people. Um, and if mine should be remembered for something, it should be for how many ideas that you have and how good are they, really. All right. Thank you. And Until that's then. it. <laughs>